Hi and welcome to this time of worship from St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. We're so glad that you have chosen to join us from wherever you are. My name is Stuart and it's my privilege to be the minister here. Today we stand on the threshold of Lent as the season of Epiphany comes to an end with a story of what has become known as the Transfiguration. For those of you who want to plan ahead, our Lent Bible study begins on Thursday the 25th of February at 7.30pm. Information on how to join on Zoom will be in next week's service and on our website and Facebook page. Today I'm joined in leading worship by Anne and Jim Cowan and later Susan Henderson who is the Minister of the United Reformed Churches in Inverclyde will join me to explain a little bit about Pancake Day. So let's listen now as Anne reads our passage for us. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. The Transfiguration After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Today is the last Sunday in what we call the season of Epiphany. Epiphany itself is the 6th of January, the day we remember the Magi visiting Jesus in a house in Bethlehem after looking for him in the wrong place, in the royal palace in Jerusalem. A discovery that Jesus wasn't the kind of king they thought he was. And we keep going with that theme of discovery, revelation, these little glimpses into who Jesus is and what that means for us until we get to Lent. And Lent begins on Wednesday. So on this last Sunday of Epiphany, we remember a strange event with a name that, before Harry Potter was a thing, we might not even have been familiar with. The Transfiguration. That just means the outward appearance of something changes. So in Harry Potter stories, that means turning into a cat or a frog. But that's not quite what happens in this story about Jesus. Jesus takes Peter, James and John up a mountain and there Jesus is changed, transfigured. But instead of being changed into something else, what happens here is that Jesus' true nature is revealed. He is, I think, in this moment, the same Jesus that the other Gospel writers will describe Mary meeting at the tomb on Easter morning, and the same Jesus the disciples will meet in a locked room. He is, at this point, the eternal Christ revealed. One of the things that's always amazed me about this whole happening is that these three disciples are invited to be part of it. We often see Jesus wander off into the wilderness alone to pray or to rest or to spend time with God, but this is different. Over the last weeks, we've been invited to catch these glimpses, these little epiphanies, 
helping us to piece together just who Jesus is. And that's how the disciples had to do it too. Jesus didn't sit them down and lay it all out for them. He invited them to follow him, to see for themselves. And they did. They saw healings and miracles. Jesus fed 5,000 people. And then later, another 4,000. He had walked on the water and calmed a storm. He healed in public and in private, exercised demons, and he told these strange stories called parables about seeds and weeds. They heard Jesus teach and transform the way they thought about God and the world and their place in it. They heard Jesus' radical reimagining of how the world should be and openly challenged the religious authorities and the empire. And they were the good guys. They had a ringside seat to all of it. All that had happened and all that was about to happen. Peter thought he'd worked it all out. By the time we get to this story in chapter 9, Peter had made his declaration about who he thought Jesus is. You are the Messiah. But it's one thing to know something. And it's something very different to actually experience it. We all know that. Having to endure your friends' holiday snaps or hear their stories about wherever they've been can get pretty boring if you've never been there. It's nice for a while and you're happy, even though you might be a bit jealous, that they've had a great time, but the photos and the stories are never going to sum up what it's like to stand on a glass shelf 153 stories up the Sears Tower, or to look out across the Grand Canyon, or to come face to face with the Space Shuttle. Mark's story of Jesus is what we call apocalyptic writing. We've come to use that word apocalypse to mean the end of the world, usually in some kind of disastrous fashion with an action hero trying to save the day. But apocalypse actually means something quite different. Apocalypse means an uncovering or a discovery of great knowledge. So apocalypse is actually very close in meaning to epiphany, just bigger. So as Mark's story unfolds, there are these apocalyptic moments, events that reveal something huge and important. The first one is Jesus' baptism, where God speaks. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Bits of information really don't come much bigger than that. But at Jesus' baptism, we're never quite sure who hears these words from God. Mark suggests that the experience is Jesus' alone. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven. An apocalyptic moment for Jesus. Confirmation of who he is. And also an apocalyptic moment for us through the retelling of this story. But I want to suggest today something about this story we call the Transfiguration. Another apocalyptic moment. I think it's in the wrong place. And once you realise that, and why it's in the wrong place, the whole thing makes much more sense. Have you ever watched a film or read a book that starts with the final scene and then explains how you got there? I think this might be what Mark's doing here. If you have a Bible handy, flip to the end of Mark's Gospel, and you'll find that there are two endings. A short ending, and a longer one. The short ending stops before anyone meets the risen Jesus. And that's just odd. Why would you do that? That's obviously what everyone else thought, so there's a longer ending that has an account of the risen Christ meeting the disciples. But what if 
there's already an encounter with the risen Christ in the story. What if that encounter is somewhere else? Like in chapter 9, right in the middle. But why? One of the strange things about following the lectionary, these readings for each week, is that when the church year changes, we bounce around the story. So in Epiphany, we've spent weeks working through chapter 1. All of this stuff has happened in just a single chapter. So imagine just how much has gone on by the time we get to chapter 9. Jesus has been healing and teaching and he started to talk about the end. It's all getting pretty dark. He speaks about how he has to suffer and die and his followers have to take up their own cross and follow him. It's the only way. But the disciples aren't listening. Or rather, they don't want to listen. This isn't what we signed up for. Why can't we just keep doing the healings and miracles and having everybody love us? I mean, love you. Yeah, love you. Is that how we feel? This journey to the cross is one that nobody would choose to make. So it makes sense then for Mark to present us with the risen Christ here at the Transfiguration in the middle of the story before taking us on that road to the cross. We've spoken before about how the joy of Palm Sunday and Easter Day are hollow without the darkness of Holy Week. I think Mark agrees. Mark is writing to a group of people who are mostly in Rome, right at the heart of the empire, who are and will continue to be hated and persecuted, tortured and killed for their faith. So for Mark, it's hugely important to show the readers that this suffering is part of what Jesus calls us into. Jesus tells his followers to take up their cross, to leave behind all that they know, to sell what they have and give the money to the poor. Mark's gospel is a hard and painful journey that leaves us much closer to the foot of the cross where Jesus dies, screaming in agony, wondering aloud why God has forsaken him. Peter himself will travel to Rome and will be crucified upside down there by the empire. So when you look at this strange transfiguration story as an encounter with the risen Christ, the universal Christ, who was and is and is to come, it starts to make much more sense. Mark tells us this story to show Jesus' place in things and the kairos of God's time rather than our momentary time. And he places him there with the major figures of the faith story, Moses and Elijah. Moses, the one who, despite all his misgivings and lack of confidence, led his people out of Egypt to the threshold of a new land and along the way met God on the mountain where God passed him by just like he did with Adam and Eve in that story of the paradise of Eden. And Elijah, the prophet who spent his days holding the empire, the king and queen to account for all they'd done wrong, who after lying down under a bush and wishing to die because it was all just too hard, was cared for and restored to health by God, and then met God in a mountain. Not in the noise and fury of the fire or the wind or even the earthquake, but in the overwhelming silence and taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. These are the greatest of all the prophets and the stories say that they will return when the Messiah arrives. So the disciples are terrified. Who wouldn't be? Peter blurts out something about making shelters because perhaps there in the wilderness Moses had built a tent, a tabernacle where God could come and meet them. But he also calls Jesus Rabbi. They're presented with the Christ, the Messiah, revealed in all his cosmic glory and Peter tries to put Jesus back in his ordinary box 
rabbi, teacher one of many rabbis, just a man. I can cope with just a man. Even if he's a man who does all kinds of stuff I don't understand, but this? No, I can't cope with this. And in the middle of this apocalyptic moment where the disciples are full of doubt and wonder in equal measure, God speaks. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. This is who Jesus is, the son of God. And the disciples heard it straight from God. The disciples can't unsee it or unknow it. This moment will travel with them way beyond the things that are recorded in Mark's story. But what about us? And we left with these snapshots and second-hand tales of an experience that we might never have. Only three disciples went up the mountain. The other nine, just like us, didn't share in that moment. But they, like us, still encounter this Jesus, this universal Christ who doesn't live only on the page of a book. We meet him every day. And the wonder of creation in the eyes of a friend or a stranger. And moments of compassion. And a word of consolation. Nobody ever said that following Jesus would be easy. In fact, Jesus himself said it would be difficult, costly even. But when the whole point of this is to completely transform and transfigure the world, then what should we expect?
Let us pray. Ever-loving God, we pray today for your church. As Christian communities all across Scotland and the world face new challenges, pain and uncertain future, we pray for the wisdom to see new opportunities for growth and renewal, even in these difficult times. We pray for this church gathered here and in the wider community as it continues to work your kingdom and to carry out your mission. We pray for strength to carry on, even as it may seem more difficult than ever to spread your word. As Jesus' life is revealed in our holy books, so too let his love be revealed in our community today. We pray for all those living in fear, those who have had to flee their homeland, who do not feel safe in their own homes, those who are marginalised because of their sexuality, race or gender, or any other reason your beloved children are attacked. Help them to see your all-encompassing love and help us to show that, some, that same love. We pray for our world as we continue to face crisis after crisis and struggle to protect and preserve your wondrous creation as we feel helpless in the face of wars raging and life's ruined. We ask for boldness to speak truth to power, to find new ways to create change and we pray that those with the power to do so will find the strength in you to do what is right rather than that which is easy. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who is revealed to us and calls us to do his work. Will you join me in saying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Hey, Susan. Yes, Stuart? I've been thinking about pancakes. Me too. I love them with chocolate spread. Oh, yeah, that's great. What about syrup? Delicious. But Susan... Yes, Stuart? I've been thinking, why do we make pancakes on Shrove Tuesday? What, what's that all about? Well, let's find out, shall we? How did you get through there? Well, we were talking about pancakes so much, I thought I'd make some. Yeah, I know, but... Oh, never mind that. Get in the kitchen and let's cook some pancakes. Okay. Stuart? Not quite. So, the reason we celebrate Pancake Day is all to do with Lent. You mean the time when we remember the 40 days Jesus fasted in the wilderness? That's right. After he was baptised, he was given his mission by God the Father. He went into the desert. Why did he do that? I'm not sure. It doesn't actually say. Perhaps he needed to get away to think things over. He'd just been given one heck of a mission. That's true. He was going to give good news to the poor and proclaim freedom to the prisoners and restore the sight of the blind. That's a tall order of business for anyone. That's right. And while he was in the desert, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Hang on. Fasting? That's when you give up eating, isn't it? Yes, the Bible says he ate nothing during those days. 
and at the end of them he was hungry. He was hungry? Hungry? That's a bit of an understatement. The poor man must have been famished. Why did he do that? Well, fasting can be a spiritual practice. Giving up food for a while to focus on God and prayer. So he wanted to spend some serious time talking to God, his father, about his mission. I don't get one thing. I just don't get it, Susan. Yes, Stuart? Well, if Lent's to remember how Jesus gave up food for 40 days to talk to God, and Shrove Tuesday is the day before Lent, then why do we celebrate it by eating lots of delicious pancakes? Well, you see, the thing is, Lent's not all about pancakes. Lent is actually a time for people to give up things like biscuits and chocolate. You know, make little changes in your life in order to form new habits and make big improvements in the long term. Oh, that's right. This year I was planning on giving up salad. But in medieval times, the people in Britain really used to take fasting seriously. They would give up all foods that were seen as a luxury, such as meat, eggs, fish, fats and milk. Oh, I think I see where you're going with this. So did they use up all the ingredients today before Lent to make a delicious bacon and sardine pancake? No, not quite. It was just the eggs, fats and milk. And that's why we have pancake day on Tuesday before Lent. The other foods were used up on Shrove Sunday and Collop Monday. I think... I think you're making this up now, Susan. I'm not. A collop was what they called a thin strip of meat. Think of it as Bacon Monday. Mmm. Bacon. Bacon Monday. Anyway. That's why we make pancakes on Shrove Tuesday. Now, are you going to get started? I'm ready to eat. It's been started. I'm all done. But how did you do? Never mind that. Pass the syrup, will you? Happy pancake day, Stuart. Oh yeah. Happy pancake day, everyone. That's a bit of an understatement. He must have been famished, poor man. Just as Jesus chose to descend the mountain once again, we follow him back into the world to bring love and healing and peace, transformation to our communities and to the world. So as we step out into Lent and walk with Jesus along that long, hard road to Golgotha, may we go with the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, today, tomorrow and forevermore. Amen. Amen.